0: Thank you Ruth. Good evening. Welcome to Ash Wednesday. The theme of our sermons for the coming weeks are going to be following the Jesus steps in his final days and hours. Not that I'm better than the editor who selected these texts, but I went back to a classical Ash Wednesday, historical Ash Wednesday text taken from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And you can follow along if you wish. It's on page 9 in your service folder. And it reads like this. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, And the other, a tax collector, or what used to be called a publican. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance, he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of our Lord. Let's begin with a prayer. Help us, our dearest Jesus, to observe this season of Lent with wholesome sacrifice and cheerful self-denial, that the time of need may find us willing and ready to fight against all the forces of evil, and that by your grace, your visitations may prove abundant blessings to us. All this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let all God's people say amen. Dear fellow Lenten travelers, it is absolutely no meaningless coincidence that Martin Luther began his 95 Theses, which he nailed to the door of the church by uh, by making it clear, a call to make it clear on the subject of repentance. He began by saying, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ in saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near wanted the entire life of believers to be a life of repentance so while the entire life of a christian in fact the entire christian church here for that matter is really honestly focused on this topic of repentance on a very regular basis there is absolutely no avoiding the fact that this season of Lent particularly focuses on this little subject of repentance. In fact, the season of Lent could probably be called the pride-busting season, if that's what you wanted to rename it. Because pride is the opposite of humility. Pride is the opposite of repentance repentance is the topic that is brought to the forefront during the season of Lent. It is brought right into our faces, right to the very epicenter of our eyes and our ears and our mouths and our nose. If you could smell repentance, it would be that close. But its primary purpose is to bring it right into the very forefront and epicenter of our souls. Which means that if you were the hypersensitive type, You probably don't like this season a whole heck of a lot, right? This is the season of the church where we spend six whole entire weeks, especially in midweek service. And I have to encourage you to come to the midweek service because this is where Lent is highlighted. This is where the epicenter of Lent is found because if you come just on Sundays during the next six weeks, you wouldn't know it's any different from Epiphany or Christmas. Because those are little mini-Easters, those are Sundays of Lent and not Sundays in Lent. And you're not going to get the Lenten message of repentance that you're going to get if you continue to come to these midweek services. We are Canadian, who cares about snow? You have snow tires, you'll eventually get home safely at 40 kilometers an hour. Otherwise come and sleep at my house. If you are the hypersensitive type, you probably would not—you probably do not enjoy this season of Lent very much. Six whole weeks of being reminded of your by nature sinfulness and this constant urging to you to repent of those sins, because sins are what kill, sins is what destroys your relationship with your Father. Six whole weeks of being reminded that when you go and look in that mirror in the morning that mirror is reflecting back to you the very face that is also responsible for the death of your Savior, Jesus. And your pastor's prayer is that reminder would tear you up and lead you to repentance. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So, if you are the hypersensitive type, you probably don't like this six-week season of Lent is coming, but I would ask you to endure it for Christ's sake anyway because it's good for your soul. Um, if you don't come to Lent as a sinner, you're going to miss the whole point of this season because there are really only two people in church this Ash Wednesday. Or I could probably say, so I don't confuse you, there are only two types of people in church on Ash Wednesday. There is the... Pharisee who comes here very comfortable in his sin and, and maybe even just oblivious to his sin, which really sounds like that might be the case. But then there is the publican, the tax collector, who is not at all confident or, un- or comfortable with his sin. In fact, he is the repentant sinner. But this is the season of Lent, this is the season for sinners. The challenge for us to figure out this evening is which kind are you? Tonight we encounter two sinners and they're seeking of this topic of righteousness or how to be made right with God or how to be in a right standing with God. Um, but what, what you're going to notice or what you probably already have noticed in the reading of the Gospels is these two come at it from two totally different approaches and two totally different mindsets and attitudes of how they're going to approach God. So, to those who buy into the idea that a person can somehow do something to make God chuckle and grin with them and, and give them a place in heaven, um, to the idea that a person, can, can, to the people who buy into this idea, that they can contribute somehow to their justification, that's a big church word. Their righteousness, another big church word that they can somehow contribute to their rightness of standing before God or that's so that they can someday dwell in the forever glories of heaven because of some sort of moral improvements that they've made to their personality and to their lifestyle. Um, this text definitely addresses that, that misunderstanding of how you become right with God. Isaiah makes it very clear. He, he speaks, in fact, I would say probably the final word on this subject about rightness before God, when he wrote, "All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags." You know how filthy? It's a picture. You wish I'm gonna You gotta have this picture. You go to the feminine hygiene department in the grocery store. Those are the filthy rags that Isaiah's talking about here. That's you. That's me. All of our filthy rags, all our righteous acts are like those filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Sounds pretty fragile, doesn't it? Sounds pretty temporary, doesn't it? Yeah. So critical is this topic of repentance to God's prophets and his apostles. So critical is this topic of pride on the opposite end of the spectrum of repentance that not one but two of Jesus' apostles spoke on this subject. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That speaks some pretty volume words. Some pretty big words. And then Mary. Which one, Pastor? Only the mother of our Lord, that Mary... She also said on this subject, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, but he has lifted up the humble. So all this is saying is that the prideful have absolutely no place before God whatsoever because pride is the absolute opposite of of humility. And humility and repentance are one and the same thing. Pride is the absolute opposite of repentance. And what we're being called upon to do is put to death our pride. Repentance is nothing more and nothing less than putting to death your own ego, your own will, your own pride. And not just bending the knee because you have to before God, bending your knee because you adore him and you want to praise him and you love him for what he has done. And so our parable, our our gospel lesson says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. What it really says here is to some who are trusting in their own righteousness And they despised everybody else. That's what the original language says. Our translation in the English really kind of softens it. They despised everybody else because they were so confident in their own self-made righteousness. And that is this Pharisee right here that we have in this parable before us. Both the world and God took a look at these two men. A Pharisee and a tax collector. And what they saw was two sinners. What, what, that, that there was agreement. The disagreement was which one is the righteous one and which one is the sinner. That was the conversation that is being had in this parable. The Pharisee, to humanize, was definitely the winner of the holy man of the day award or the holy man of the year award. Right? He was clearly the righteous man. He is the guy who kept the letter of the law perfectly, at least in his own mind and in the eyes of the people around town. This is the guy who said that I give a tenth of everything I have when the law only required of him to give a tenth of his first fruits, of his crops. Right? This is the guy who says, I fast twice a week. He must have been like 137 pounds. I'm thinking, six foot, two and a half, 137 pounds. Not looking real healthy. When the law only required him to fast once a year, I am 104 times better than my fellow Israelite. Yes, this was the guy who was the bar for the moral code in his town. This was the guy who everybody looked up to and said, wow, wow. He is the poster boy of Israelite perfection. Man, oh man. The tax collector? Oh, on the contrary. He was everything that the Pharisee was not. He was the sinner. And you know what? He confessed as much. The Pharisee begins, God, I thank you that I am not like other men robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But was he really thanking God in these words of his? Going with his own words and not putting words into his mouth, just going with what he says, wasn't he really expressing complete satisfaction with himself? Wasn't he really just kind of congratulating Himself, yeah, um, for achieving what? Well, for achieving some sort of superior self-made righteousness. He was convinced that he was in a class by himself. There is not a hint of praise for God in these words that he speaks. The God who has had mercy on him, a sinner, a sinner who was desperately in need of pardon. The Pharisee is playing the oldest game known to mankind. It's called the the pat-yourself-on-the-back game, right? And just don't throw your shoulder out as you're trying to get back there and pat yourself on the back. Um, He brags about the evil that he has not done. and He brags about the good that he has done. The Pharisee didn't go to church to pay his respects to God. He went into that temple in order to pay respect to himself. That's where he's coming from. He assumed this sanctimonious, there's a good multi-syllable word. That's when you're just, you're, your nose is so far up in the air and you're so sure that you're so right and you're so pure that you just have to let everybody around you know it. That I am just, I am just such a holy, perfect Israelite, right? He comes with such a sanctimonious um nose in the air holier than thou prideful posture thinking himself like I said before thinking himself to be in a class all by himself does this sound like anybody that you know at times in your life and I'm not talking about your uncle Fester. you see it's a parable I don't have to spell out specific law and specific gospel for you to be able to relate to the parable. You just put yourself into the role of the Pharisee. You put yourself into the role of the tax collector. And the story of Jesus, it'll speak to your heart volumes. This Pharisee honestly thought that he had achieved God's Michelin star, right? Right? Haha! Oh, I get a Michelin star for keeping the law. I get a second Michelin star for fasting twice a week instead of, instead of just once a year, right? I don't get a Michelin star for the best hors d'oeuvres because I don't eat hors d'oeuvres because I fast twice a week, right? I get a Michelin star because I give a tenth of everything I have, not just my first fruits. And here he is beating himself, not physically, but metaphorically, allegorically. He's beating himself on the chest, so impressed with himself. He's basically like he's saying, Lord, the very best of righteousness is found in me. And the truth is, Jesus' verdict about this man who exalted himself, Jesus' verdict is that he went down to his home worse off than when he first came. You know, if you are bold enough to say to God, you are fortunate to have me in your kingdom, Lord, be ready to be rejected by Jesus. Because Jesus does not share his glory with another. That he will not put up with. The tax collector understands that he is nothing on the other hand, but dust and ashes before God. He understands that he is a bankrupt sinner. He understands that he is absolutely Zippo in God's eyes. That's why he stood at a distance. He's off in the shadows on the side of church. If that tax collector was with us this this evening, he'd be sitting right up there in the choir loft, the very back row, hunched down so that no one could see him and then zip out of here before we all got up and started walking out the front door. This is a man whose sins of his past life just keep him awake at night. This is a man whose utter unworthiness, at least in his own mind, weighs him down with such a heavy burden that you would think that he was walking around with clinical depression. This is a man who is totally crushed, by the multitude of transgressions that have just built up on him because he just has not heard the words of forgiveness, right? Do you know anybody like this? Can you relate to this man? Because, but he doesn't despair. That's the thing about this guy. He doesn't despair. What he cries out from his mouth is he says, Lord, I'm, I'm confessing when he says his words. There's everything wrong with me. Absolutely everything is wrong with me, but Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's the first honest words that you hear in the entire parable. What he was asking God was, here I am in your temple, Lord. Turn your favor on me. Turn your favor on me based not on your, just your general goodness, but based upon a sacrifice a sacrifice made for sin forgive me on the basis of an atonement for sin there's another big multisyllable church word atonement is just payment it's reconciliation somebody does something on the one hand in order to pay for a debt on another ours is the debt of sin Jesus takes care of paying that sin. That's what the word atonement means. The tax collector was taking refuge, not in, as I said, not in this general goodness of God, but based upon a very specifically on this activity of a sacrifice that was made for the sin of this man. That's what he was appealing to. God's righteousness, his justice. He knew God to be just and holy and he could be no other way. But he also knew him to be merciful and gracious. And so there he is in the temple where sacrifices are offered. And every Jew know, or at least they should have known, every Jew should have known, that there in the temple is where God showed his forgiving face. That is where you heard the absolvote in Latin. That's where you heard the forgiveness of your sins in English. That's where you heard the blood of the lamb was shed for you In English. That's where the heart of God was shown, was in the temple. This is the place where repentant sinners were welcome. And this man knew it. If Jesus had come to this world with the Pharisees' attitude of righteousness, no one would be saved. The Pharisee's righteousness was a manufactured righteousness. Oh, it was good. He was Pharisee of the year in his town, but it wasn't perfect. If pick-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps kind of righteousness were enough, um, the truth of the matter is that there would be no season called the season of Lent in the church year. Jesus could simply have come here, and he could have simply said to each one of us, go and buy a television, Turn it to this channel and watch Dr. Phil, the self-help guru of North America, right? But there is Lent, and the Pharisee's righteousness is useful only as eye candy on the devil's refrigerator. That's all it's good for. The mystery of the gospel it is deep, and it's wide, and it's high, and it's long. But the mystery of the gospel, King David knew. And the Old Testament prophets knew well. And the apostles came to learn it as well. But all the Old Testament patriarchs, the heroes of faith that you read about in Hebrews chapter 11, but even beyond that, thats that short little listing, all the Old Testament patriarchs knew the mystery of the gospel. Because for that reason, David did not write the words of his Psalm 32, saying, Blessed is the person who has committed no sins, and from all sins is found to be pure. Like the Pharisee would have written the psalm. No, David wrote it this way. Blessed is the person whose transgressions, their sins, are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And that is why during this season of Lent when you look into that mirror and you see the person looking back at you is guilty of the murder of Jesus Christ our Lord you're led to tears. And you know you're guilty of sin. And the astounding thing is that you're forgiven. He doesn't hold it against you. Believe it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is the season of Lent. It's that pride-busting season of the church year, when we focus on God's activity of forgiving grace. Forgiving grace based upon a sacrifice. The sacrifice of his son, Jesus. It is a season when we are urged to turn away from the sins that vex us, the sins that make our life difficult, the sins that put us in jeopardy, a jeopardizing relationship with our Father in heaven. And turn to our Savior who carries our sins to the cross this next six weeks. And we're going to follow him into the valley of the shadow of death. We're going to follow him and watch him take our sins upon himself. The sins that caused his death. The death that gives you life. And life eternal. If you don't come to Lent as a sinner, you will miss the whole point of this season. And you will go down to your house like the Pharisee, worse off than when you first came. In the end, there are only two kinds of sinners that are found on Ash Wednesday. Just like in this parable, there are only two kinds of sinners that are found in the parable. There is the Pharisee, who is comfortable with his sin or oblivious about his sin. But then there is the tax collector who trusted in the mercy of his Savior. He knew the words. He wore them on his forehead. Remember that you are dust. And to dust you shall return. And it was in this trust in his Savior, it was his trust in his God That for him, and all like him, he went down to his house justified before God. Which one of these men are you? Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.